ora and welcome to Requisite Words. I'm Peter Ravlich, and you're listening to a podcast about writing. I used to write, but now I look at a blank page and don't know where to start. It's a common complaint, but the question beneath it is an important one for would-be and stymied writers alike. How do you start writing, especially if you haven't for years? In a word, read. Read a lot. Read books, read recipes, subtitles, billboards, and transcripts and articles and memes and diaries, uh, with permission, and graphic novels and people. Then, and only then, pick up a pen and some paper, or sit at your computer and set yourself an attainable challenge. It might be a hundred words. It might be a sentence. It might be a word. But don't make it an aspiration. Make it something you can do in the moment. And that's a wrap. But seriously, you may not be able to carve out the time to sit and write a thousand words this afternoon. But one word you can definitely do. Ten, almost certainly. If you can find a free minute, use it. If you don't feel like writing, write about that. If you're stuck on a problem, write your way out of the problem. Nothing is off limits on the page. But what's the next step? You can get some words down, but what are they really worth? Writing isn't the same as writing a book. Again, start small. Personally, I like to make use of daily writing exercises via Twitter, which are surprisingly useful for honing your craft. You'll hear me talk ad nauseum about the interplay between creativity and constraint as the bedrock of poetry. And the beauty of Twitter's platform is that it forces a 280-character constraint onto you. Of course, you can go shorter too. Twitter is awash with prompts for haiku, six-word stories, 13-word poems, there's likely to be a prompt that will work with whatever personal constraints you might be under. I thought I'd break down how I approach a Twitter prompt using one of my old pieces. Often I delete my notes as I go, but I happen to find one document that contains roughly the evolution of the poem, from initial attempts and notes to finished piece. I'm going to talk through it a little generally but hopefully it will give you an idea of how the organic flow of ideas can interact with broader intent and constraint in the construction of a poem. I wrote this piece in response to another poet on Twitter, Selkie Molka, and I'll put her details in the show notes. She started a thread of poems about dragons, with her own piece detailing a mischievous creature's exploits with drunkenness and night terrors. Sulky's poem and the thread itself were shaping up to be fun treatments of dragon kind, so I shortly decided I wanted to focus on the human-dragon relationship, rather than compete for the most outlandish feats. After an initial brainstorm, I started by scribbling down a few lines. Her hoard is not the... hoardiest? Richest? A gleamiest? Sparklingest? I couldn't quite capture what I wanted there, so I went on to her fires smolder small. So by this point, I decided I just wanted a a really small creature that contrasted with the the huge dragons of some of the other poems. 
but I also really wanted to maintain the sense of play that was really evident through the whole thread. Her fires are not the burniest, and her hoard is humbly sized. Uh, Though her hunger makes her hangriest, her fires burn the least. So at this stage I'm not settling on any particular poetic structure. So much as just throwing lines out and seeing if I can build on them. Then I went to, my dragon's magic is the best, she doesn't kill like all the rest. And she isn't ever murderous. She keeps a human as her beast. But I love her over all the rest, her warmth is within reach. I didn't hate it, but I wasn't happy with the rhyme scheme or the flow. It was too repetitive with she doesn't kill and isn't ever murderous, and I felt it wasn't tight enough an argument. I liked the final line, her warmth is within reach, and that idea factored into the final poem. But first, I tried a different tangent. My dragon wrangles rainbows, and her scales gleam with pride. I liked this opener, but it was getting too far from the whimsical dragon theme, and biting off far more than the prompt was really suited to. So I readdressed that starting point by literally addressing the starting point. Your dragon is more lizard than the title would suggest. His magic is mundane, but my, my dragon is the best. Those lines re-centred me on the prompt, even though they didn't make the final cut. I decided to drop them as I reviewed my earlier lines, and finally tapped into the flow of a contained, coherent piece. Your dragon might be mighty, and his chronicles profound. But my dragon is less flighty, and she snuggles on the ground. Her fires are not the burniest, her hoard of modest size. But I'd rather hug her in her nest, than lose her to the skies. So at 220 characters, that's the piece I published. And fitting both Twitter's length constraint and the world and tone constructed in the thread. So much of writing is about context and framing, and writing short pieces to prompts is one way to flex that awareness. Let's generalise my process from that example. First, we brainstorm the prompt, writing down ideas as they flow. Nothing is off limits, but the lowest hanging fruit is either discarded or set aside if I just want to run with it. Write a poem. About 70% of the time, my poem will exceed the 280 character limit. That's when I get to refine and often improve the piece. School-level poetry discussions have too often dwelt, inadvisedly, on the poet's intention. What was Keats trying to do with this? Why did Dickinson choose that word? The reality is that most poets revise their work multiple times, and that is itself a balancing act between the language of the poem and any original intent. If we take Tennyson, you'll recall from an earlier episode that he wrote and published multiple revisions of The Lady of Shalott, which carry vastly different tones and implications. And a similar pattern applies to his other works, and to the process of most poets and poems. So we write a draft, or a verse, and then consider it. Is the meter natural? If we read it, does it flow easily from the tongue? If it doesn't, or if it falters at a certain point, 
Does that serve the work or break it? Does it fit within our constraints? Probably not, and we'll get to that. Is it cliched? This doesn't have to be a deal breaker. We're playing with Twitter after all, getting into the habit of writing, and a new approach to a well-trodden concept isn't sinful. That one line that flows really well and seems almost too familiar, is it something we've remembered? A quick Google with quotation marks around the phrase will allay or confirm that fear. And now we begin the edit proper. When it comes to a short piece of poetry, you're usually looking at a single overarching statement or argument. Looking at the lines you've got now, what serves that argument? What detracts from it? Are there any tangents that don't need to be there? If so, shelve them. You've probably heard the phrase, itself now a cliché, about killing your darlings. It isn't as dramatic as it sounds. If you love a line, but it doesn't serve the piece in light of these questions, put it aside. Literally cut and paste it out of the text. You're not destroying it forever. You're just recognising that it's sitting in the wrong spot, and its time may well come later on. If you're up against the character limit, see what you can pare down. Is there a contraction or alternate spelling that won't break the flow of the piece, but will still shave off a letter or two? Consider each stanza or couplet. Are they all necessary? Are there any redundancies? It's sometimes easier and more productive to remove an entire section of the poem. If you find the message getting diluted while doing so, it's a perfect window into further improving the piece. What did the longer version say that the shorter one doesn't? Is there a way to revise the remaining lines? Or condense that longer statement into a more impactful one? It's not at all uncommon for a poet to begin with a four-line stanza in the first draft, but complete the edits with a single line expressing the exact same thesis, and doing so much more effectively. Finally, when you've pushed yourself through the edit phase, publish the piece. This isn't compulsory. You can obviously write and keep it squirreled away, or even delete it. But the reason I like Twitter prompts and choose to publish my works is fourfold. Firstly, feedback, no matter how abstract, is the next step of the professional writing process. And getting used to soliciting that feedback is much easier in a low-pressure environment besides dozens of other writers. The second reason is community. While much of social media tends to become a cesspool of over-invested opinions, bandwagons and bots, the Twitter writing community is notably inclusive and positive. My third reason might be obscured in this episode, which has really stretched out the timescale. Generally, a short piece represents an incredibly small investment of time and energy. And finally, I find satisfaction in writing, but I find far more when I publish something and allow it to take a new life in the heads of readers. Giving little moments of potential joy, confusion, whimsy or reflection can invest your call to write with new urgency and purpose. 
This is only my experience of writing, and the exploration of one possible technique to help build your output. I would love to hear about different takes on getting started, or overcoming inertia. If you'd like to share your own, please drop me a line to peter at inklings.co.nz, and I'll share them on a future episode. In the meantime, start with reading. Start small. Start today. Requisite Words is an Inklings production. Find out more at inklings.co.nz or follow us on Twitter at Requisite Words. Opening music is Be Chillin' by Alexander Nakarada. If you enjoy listening, don't forget to give us a review on your favourite podcast app and let us know what you'd like to hear more of.